Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the most important day in all of human history. It's the culmination of the gospel message. Well, certainly you can't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ without his birth. So his birth is important and you can't have his death without his birth. So his death is important. But the focus today is on the resurrection because, as I said, it's the culmination of the gospel. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us hope, hope that no matter how bad things may get on this earth, Jesus lives to guide us and make intercession for us. Hope that when we die, we will overcome death and enjoy our eternal home with God. I'm Debbie Blank, joyful on this Resurrection Sunday to discuss this hope we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Debbie and I just gave the traditional Resurrection Day greeting and response. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That firm affirmation of the early Christians is part of what gives Christians today that same certain hope. Because Jesus was resurrected, just as the Hebrew Scriptures had prophesied. And many modern authors, like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell, have examined the facts of the resurrection with a discerning eye and have shown that there is striking evidence for the resurrection, evidence that would stand up in a court of law. So the hope that we have in our salvation and our own resurrection is based on the indestructible life of Jesus Christ and on his power and his promises. It is not simply a wishful hope. It is the confidence we have of knowing that we have a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, amen to that. It's so easy in these changing times in which we live to lose hope. I mean, Satan's tool is to focus us on ourselves, our problems, the futility of life. That brings despair. Instead, God has given us the greatest gift we can have, and that is Jesus Christ. Hope in him, which gives us hope in the future. Hope that God has a purpose for us in this life. Hope that we can find joy in the midst of any circumstance. Hope that we have a better life waiting for us after we die. Hope that we will spend eternity with God. What better hope could we have than that? You hear the expression all the time, where there is life, there is hope. And I think about, well, in Jesus Christ, there is life. So in Jesus, there is hope. Oh, yes. Well, there, there's really two kinds of hope. There's worldly hope and there's godly hope. We tend to focus more on the worldly hope. A definition for that, according to the dictionary, is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Well, that could also be related to a spiritual hope, but when you catch the definition, it's a feeling. In the Word of God, we are not supposed to go by our feelings. We are supposed to walk by our faith. If our hope is based on feelings or desire, not substance, then that hope can run out of control because our feelings run out of control. Oh, we might say, well, I hope I don't get COVID. Or a parent might say, I hope I have a healthy child. And that's great, but we have no control over that. It just happens. So we're hoping in something based on our feelings. Hope is not a matter of our temperament, or at least it shouldn't be. It's not based on prevailing circumstances. It shouldn't be based on what we possess, uh, what we can do for ourselves or what others can do for us. Our hope 
is not to be based on feelings. It's to be based on faith in God. Yes, in contrast, human hope is like, as I said before, wishful thinking. Our hope is not wishful thinking, but human hope is like a wish. There are no guarantees. It just depends on luck or mere chance. Uh, Biblical hope, however, is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. So with God, we have promises. That gives us hope. We know that the word of God is 100% true and accurate. So everything he says will come about as he said, and we can stand on the promises that he gives us here. So our hope here isn't in our feelings. It's based on our faith, our confident expectation of who God is and what he says. So keep in mind, as I said, faith is the basis for true hope. While things may be out of control for us, it's not out of God's control. We can trust him to work things together for good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who know God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And did you catch that? We know. So we have that confident expectation, that hope that God will work all things together for good because he's God and he says he will. We can place our faith in so many things. So much depends on what the object of our faith is. And so we can have faith in worldly things. We can have faith in our own abilities or we can have faith in other people or our jobs or whatever. But those things are fallible. But when the object of our hope is Jesus Christ, then we have a solid hope. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope. As a matter of fact, the first time we see hope mentioned in the New Testament, it's with the name of Jesus. In Matthew 12.21, we're told, and in his name, that's Jesus, the Gentiles will have hope. You see, the Messiah came for the Jews, but he also came for the Gentiles. And we know that too in Luke 2.32, when Simeon recognized Jesus in the temple when he was being circumcised, and he said that Jesus was a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So Jesus is our hope. There's no question about that. Remember the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. Well, he's our hope. Why? Because he's God, because he's our savior. He's our Lord. He died for our sins. He rode from the grave. He did all that because he loves us and wants us to have life and have it with him. So he loves us enough to give us that future and a hope as he promised in Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, clearly the context there was to the nation Israel, but we can take it to the bank too when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare are not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You know, when you talked about the hymn that my hope is built on nothing less, it reminded me of the song that we sang in Sunday school when we were kids about building your house on the rock. And the man who builds his house on the sand and it washes away, but the one who builds his house on the rock, his house stands firm. So again, um, looking to Jesus, the rock of our faith. And keep in mind that Jesus is the gospel message. He's the foundation of our faith. He is the gospel message. And that good news is what we stand on as Christians. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection passage, I encourage you to read it all through 58 verses that are in there. But for now, we're going to look at just verses 1 through 5 that tell us, 
Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which you also are saved. So Paul says, I'm preaching you the gospel and it's the gospel that saves you. Now, it's not just the words, it's who Jesus is and what he does that saves us. Goes on to say, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, here is the gospel message in verses three through five. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And we learn later that he appeared to 500 people. So the gospel message is very clear. It is what saves us. And that what saves us is Jesus Christ by believing in his death on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and then that he was raised from the dead to conquer death. It says it right there in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. Do we believe that? Do we follow that gospel message? Because that is the message that gives us hope. And what's interesting, too, is this passage brings up the evidence of the witnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. So some of that stuff that I was talking about, the authors who go through the evidence for the resurrection, look at all the witnesses. Here it mentions 500 witnesses. We also know that they never could produce a body. That's another evidence. There are all kinds of evidences that would stand up in court that we know that Jesus was resurrected. In addition to, as it says, it was predicted in the scriptures. We've seen the empty tomb and Jesus isn't there. So Jesus is our hope. He's our hope by the gospel. He's our hope by his death. I mean, he saved us from our sins by his death, that part of the gospel message. In Titus 3, 4 through 7, Paul says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So catch that. It's Jesus Christ, our Savior. He saved us. It's not on our deeds or our works, anything we've done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. Then it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that death on the cross and then us believing in his death and how he saved us from our sins is the beginning of that hope of eternal life. And, you know, it talks about it's not based on our works. And thank goodness it's not based on our works because then we would have nothing to really hold on to. We're fallible and we know that we don't even live up to our own standards. And the other thing that was interesting to me in that verse is the Holy Spirit, the washing, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He is our seal and the evidence of our salvation. So once we have Christ's hope from the gospel and then by his death, we need to have his resurrection because the gospel isn't complete with his death. Yes, he saved us from our sins, but what good does that do us unless we're going to have eternal life? That's where the resurrection comes in. Jesus conquered death and he opened the gates to heaven so that we could live with him forever. On Resurrection Sunday, he did that. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can be born again. What does that mean? Well, we were born physically from the womb where we came out in human beings. We need to be born spiritually, born again in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and live with him forever. So when we are born again, that's a spiritual term that draws us 
by God into his kingdom through Jesus Christ. And from that passage, when it says he has caused us to be born again, that's past, to a living hope, that's present, and to obtain an inheritance, that's future. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 23 reminds us that Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So no one could be resurrected until Jesus Christ was resurrected. The old saints, when they died, their souls went into a place that's called paradise. Their bodies went into the grave. They couldn't be resurrected because Jesus Christ is the first fruits from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, we're told that death is swallowed up in victory, the victory being Christ's resurrection. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This resurrection Sunday, he conquered death, opening the doors for us also to conquer death. He had to be resurrected first, and then we now can then be resurrected to spend eternity with him. So what happens to us in the resurrection? Oh, that's a great question. According again to 1 Corinthians 15, and this time we're going to look at verses 42 to 44. It says that we're going to be resurrected from the dead. It, which is our body, is sown a perishable body, but it's raised an imperishable one. In other words, it will never die again. It'll never change. It'll never decay. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Our bodies decaying. The things that we do in our body are dishonoring, but the new body will be sown in glory. It is sown in weakness. It will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Wow. We're going to have some kind of a body. We don't know what it's going to look like. Are we all going to be 20 or 30 years old? We don't know. But I believe from Luke 16, 22, we will probably recognize people. Now that's kind of an Old Testament passage, even though it's in the New Testament. But it does say that when a rich man died, he was able to look into a place called Abraham's bosom and see someone he knew, Lazarus, there, and he recognized him. It also tells us that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, so he recognized Abraham. So I believe we will recognize each other when we get to heaven, though we're going to look completely different. We're going to have these transformed bodies as Jesus did. Remember, Jesus was able to come into a room with the doors locked. He also appeared to Mary at the tomb, and she didn't recognize him, thinking him to be the gardener until he revealed himself. So there's times when they did recognize Jesus and times when they didn't. Times when he did things that we can't do right now, but we will be able to do with our transformed bodies. First John 3, 2, we're told, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Since we're going to be like him, that means we'll have some form or solidity to our bodies because remember, Thomas touched Jesus' wounds. And we're going to enjoy some kind of food that won't be necessary to sustain us. Remember, Jesus ate fish with his disciples in Luke 24, 3. So our new bodies will finally be like God originally intended rather than the weakness of this sinful flesh. I think about 1 John 3, 2, and where it says we don't know for sure what we're going to look like, what we're going to be like, but we know that we'll be like him. We'll be able to see him as he is, and we will be like him. So in some way, we're going to be like him in his glorified body. Isn't that going to be great? We don't have to worry about the aches and pains that we have now or, or death. I think what most people are afraid of is actual death. When we look at Stephen, the first martyr in Scripture in Acts chapter 7, we see that when he died, 
looks like he saw Jesus up in heaven before he actually died. He says in Acts 7, 56, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. Of course, they cried out and wanted to kill him even more. And yet it says when he fell on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said that, he fell asleep. Well, I think that when the time comes, we're going to be able to see Jesus and Jesus is going to take us to be with heaven. And whatever that death experience is for believers is not going to be as horrendous as we think it is because Jesus has called us to be with him. So will everyone be resurrected or just certain people? Well, we will be resurrected to see Jesus in heaven, but there's another resurrection that takes place. People will not be going to heaven, but they will be living for eternity. Let's look at John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus is saying, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus is telling us that there's going to be a resurrection of everyone. The righteous, the people who committed the good deeds, they have a resurrection of eternal life, that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But those who committed evil deeds are going to have a resurrection of judgment. That means they will be resurrected. They will live for eternity. We will all live for eternity. Us in heaven as the righteous, unbelievers in hell as the unrighteous. I want to deal with this passage for just a minute because it says those who did the good deeds to heaven, basically, and those who did the evil deeds to hell. Well, it is not deeds that save us. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. But what saves us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What dooms us is if we have not committed our lives to Jesus Christ. We're told in Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment that if our names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, we will be relegated to eternal hell. So we are judged on our deeds at our judgments. Second Corinthians 5.10 tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one of us is going to be recompensed for the deeds which we have done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Well, he's writing this to Christians in Corinth. So what it says is we're going to stand before the judgment of Christ. And then once we're before Christ at that judgment seat, he's going to judge us on our deeds. Those who do not believe in Jesus are going to go to the great white throne judgment and they are judged in their deeds, but they're going to be sent to hell because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and the name isn't written there because they haven't believed in Jesus. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sins and bore them on the cross. Those who believe in him, those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so those deeds are not counted against us because they were already judged at the cross. And so the, the kinds of deeds that believers will have judged will be the ones that are the ones of whether they were worthy of advancing the kingdom. Is that right? That's right. When it says we'll be recompensed at the deeds which we have done in the body, that means we'll receive rewards. The Bible talks about several crowns in scriptures that we will receive. Then in Revelation, we're told that the elders laid their crowns before the feet of Jesus. Because the reality is any good works we do, in the name of Jesus, we do by his power, by his strength, and for his glory. So he's ultimately the one who gets those rewards, and we get to worship him with them. Our judgment as believers is going to be to receive rewards. And those rewards we will then lay before the feet of Jesus. While again, those who have not believed in Jesus are judged in those deeds, 
We don't know why. Are they judged because they'll have different levels in hell? I don't know that. Maybe. But the point is, it's not going to be fun in hell. They're not going to be sitting there drinking beer and playing pool all the time. It's a place where the worm never dies, where the sun is never quenched of misery and mourning and weeping and pain away from God for all eternity. Can you imagine? I think some people think, well, I'll do whatever I want on this earth because when my life's over, it's over. Well, it's not. We're going to live on for eternity. It's our choice as to where we live, in heaven with Jesus or in hell away from Jesus. And I don't mean to sound crass, but that's what the Word of God says. I think it's important to remember that hell was not created for us. It wasn't created for human beings. God created it for the devil and his angels. How does that relate to what's in the future for people who don't believe? And because God created it for the devil and his angels, there's no one in hell right now. That's an eternal place, and people will go there eventually, but they're not there yet, not until they've been judged. But they will be judged. You see, we have to choose which way are we going to go, towards God or choosing away from God, and it's our decision. Sometimes we make the decision to walk on our own accord. Sometimes we just lose out in our heavenly relationship with God by omission because we don't choose to walk with him. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10, because it describes what we've been talking about. Paul says to these new young believers, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Now this is talking about how these new saints were being persecuted. And is there hope? Is God going to justify their suffering? Are they going to have hope? Are the other people going to have to pay for what they have done? So in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, it says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Boy, there's a lot in that passage. But it's talking about how just God is to repay those who afflict the believers. We don't think of God as a just God bringing judgment, we think of God as a God of love. And therefore, he must be mean if he's going to bring judgment. But God cannot tolerate sin. So whenever sin comes into play, he has to deal with it. And he has to judge those people who continually walk in sin and walk away from him. But it also says in this passage, he's going to give relief to us when we're afflicted. So when we go through trials and troubles and problems, God's going to take care of us and give us release. Now, he says now in 2 Thessalonians 1.8, dealing out retributions to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. He clearly lays out the problems that the unbelievers are going to face. Retribution, he says. Who's it going to? Two groups of people. Those who don't know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Basically, those are synonymous with each other. They don't know God. They don't choose to commit their lives to following Jesus Christ. There is retribution. And then if we didn't catch what that meant, he says the penalty is eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. 
So people will be sent to eternal hell when they choose not to know God or not to obey the gospel. A lot of people say, well, I know God. In that day, you will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I didn't know you because those people were not true believers. Their names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They didn't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, there are other places in scripture, but we've got a really good taste here to understand. It's our choice on Resurrection Sunday as to whether we're going to choose the hope in Jesus Christ and be with him forever, or if we're going to choose eternal damnation away from God because we didn't know God, we didn't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we didn't choose to commit our lives to him, but to live it for ourselves. The whole purpose of Resurrection Sunday is to remind people that we have hope in Jesus Christ. If we don't have Jesus Christ, we have no hope. So those who are resurrected without the benefit of accepting Jesus's redemption on the cross have chosen to just kind of stand on their own. Let's go back to that passage in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It says here that there's no second chance once we die. When the rich man realized he was in the place of torment and he wanted to come to Abraham's bosom, he said to Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame, according to Luke 16, 24. And Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. The rich man goes on to say, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophet. Let them hear them. But he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Here, it tells us there is no second chance. Once we die, once we've made the decision to believe or not believe, our eternity is sealed. And here, Father Abraham says, they won't repent if they see Lazarus from the dead, because they won't repent if someone rises from the dead. And of course, he's relating there to Jesus. So what decision are we going to make? This is Resurrection Sunday. If we choose Jesus, we have hope to understand the best is yet to come. Romans 8, 23 through 25 says, We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he's already seen? And I stop there to say none of us has seen heaven we are hoping, having confident expectation because God tells us about heaven. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And then I think of Hebrews 11.1 1 that says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So our faith is our foundation for our hope, not our feelings. Feelings is worldly hope. Faith is godly hope, eternal hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ this Resurrection Sunday because he was raised from the dead. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Will you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus today as your Lord and Savior? Will you hold fast that confession of hope without any kind of wavering? Will you make Jesus Lord of your life? Because if you will 
then you can always enjoy that hope of salvation through the Resurrection Sunday, every day that you live on earth, and then for all eternity. If you do not make a decision to follow Jesus, you will spend eternity away from him. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.